I want to thank you for joining into our Bible study this evening, and I want to encourage you to have your Bibles open with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Now let's remember as we begin to study what I believe is a very emotional letter here from the Apostle Paul, God's comfort was seen. And it's seen through some really key terms that maybe we could say dot the landscape of the first seven verses. There was the word for comfort or encouragement in the Greek. It was used six times in those verses. Its verb form, which would be to cheer or to comfort or to encourage, is used five times in those first seven verses. Then there is the noun that communicates trouble or tribulation. Three times that's used, and the noun which communicates suffering is used four times. When you put that together, you stand back and assess that those seven verses are obviously about the troubles of life and the comfort that we find within them. More important And what I think is central to the issue or the theme in these verses of suffering and affliction and trouble and tribulation is that the Apostle Paul is focusing on God throughout all of it. I love how one writer kind of set the tone for this segment of verses. He said, he certainly could not sing about his circumstances, but he could sing about the God who is in control of all circumstances. So in the midst of all of that, he's pointing us to focus on God. Though we cannot sing about our circumstances, we can sing about the God of all comfort within them. Now we arrive in verse 8. We have the comfort of God on our minds. We are aware that life is full of trouble, tribulation, and suffering. And he's going to expand on this, the apostle is. He's going to give us some more insight into this particular moment of what happened back in Ephesus. Now if you have your Bible, I'd love for you to look at verse 8 with me. For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were pressed out of measure, above strength, insomuch that we despaired even of life. But we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God which raiseth the dead. Verse 10. Who delivered us from so great a death and doth deliver, in whom we trust that he will yet deliver us. Ye also, helping together by prayer for us, that for the gift bestowed upon us by the means of many persons, thanks may be given by many on our behalf. What a great view we gain in these verses. He's telling us, he's amplifying for us what these situations of trouble and trial are. How he experienced the God of comfort. How he focused on God and how he was practically helped by them, the believers that are there in Corinth. Let's take a look at this pressure-filled moment first. He said he's under pressure, our trouble in Asia. And then he uses two phrases. He says, we were pressed out of measure above strength. 
two qualifying phrases that communicate the severity of the situation. Pressed out of measure and above strength. Pressed out of measure, above strength. He is literally, linguistically picturing a ship that is overloaded. And due to the fact that it is overloaded, it's riding low in the water. He's showing us, the language is painting this picture for us of a pack animal that is overloaded, falling under the load so that it cannot stand back up again. The weight is just too heavy, out of measure. It is exceeding, it is surpassing even description, above strength, beyond our ability to endure. It's beyond our power. Maybe I could paraphrase that segment of that verse again to help our understanding. He's saying we were indescribably beyond the limits of our own power. We were brought down into the depths. We were overloaded. We were falling under. Certainly, he's painting a very vivid picture of the trouble that he had there. I believe that in his mind, in his heart, he knew that it was only a matter of time before all of these various forces that were always working against him would eventually win out. That eventually he would truly receive the sentence of death, and does. Yet in this moment, God rescues him. He delivers him. Now, we may not know exactly what moment in Ephesus or in Asia Paul is referring to. But as one wrote, we do know that God controlled the circumstances. We do know that God protected his servant. He went on to write, When God puts his children into the furnace, he keeps his hand on the thermostat and his eye on the thermometer. I love that. He keeps his hand on the thermostat and his eye on the thermometer. Though Paul was weighed under, that it was beyond description, that it was above his ability to endure, it wasn't too much and God delivered him. He's going to teach us in these verses some very important lessons about how a believer endures, how a believer survives how a believer maybe even thrives when under pressure. The first thing that we ascertain from these verses is when we are under pressure, God wants us to trust Him. When we are under pressure, God wants us to trust Him. Look at the second part of verse 9. That we should not trust in ourselves but in God which raiseth the dead. He's telling us explicitly, here is the outgrowth of the troubles in Asia. We learned in that moment that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God which raiseth the dead. In effect, if God can raise the dead, and he can, can he not deliver us from the threat of death? That's what's being painted. Now, this is beautiful language in the Bible. It actually even points back to the Old Testament. But apparently, just like me and you, Paul faced the temptation to be self-reliant. This experience in Asia, this intense moment of pressure, helped protect him against self-reliance and trusting 
in his own resources. He's going to write a little later in chapter 4 in this letter, 4 and verse 7. We have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. One of the reasons that we're flawed, one of the great revelations of our weakness is so that God actually gets the glory. It's intriguing to me that even the Apostle Paul was still learning that he must live in utter dependence upon God. We need to know that. One of the lessons we learn when under pressure is that God wants us to trust in him. Not in our gifts, not in our abilities, not in our experience, not in any of our reserves or resources. Because just about the time we are self-confident, and just about the time we think we're able to meet the enemy and navigate without God's help, we fail miserably. In verse 10 of chapter 12, he will say to us, Therefore I take pleasure in my infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. This is the theme of this study. Strength in weakness. God does not expect us to deny our emotions. I mean, it's clear here that Paul does not deny the way that he felt. I was pressed out of measure. It was above my strength. He was feeling within himself the sentence of death. He felt this. God does not expect us to deny our emotions. Paul did not. Verse 5 of chapter 7, For when we were coming to Macedonia, he says, our flesh had no rest. We were troubled on every side. Without were fightings, within were fears. He's not denying the emotions. Sometimes we feel guilty because we feel things. We think that trust means we have to be superhuman. It's not that. God wants us to trust him despite our emotions or our feelings. We don't have to deny that they're there. Paul said, within were fears, yet I trusted. Don't feel guilty because you feel emotion. Trust God in spite of emotion. It's okay to feel that pressure. Trust God in spite of your feelings. That's such an important thing. That's a depth of spiritual maturity that we can come to grips with. Paul was not superhuman, and neither are we. God wants us to trust in him. Second thing we learn, God wants to deliver us from our trials. Note what he said in verse 10, the first part. Who delivered us from so great a death and doth deliver, in whom we trust that he will yet deliver us. Now, Paul emphasizes God's deliverance in verse 10. Three separate times he repeats the word deliver. The first time he uses it, it's about the past. He said he delivered us. He delivered, past tense, from so great a death. Second time, he doth deliver. He's talking about the present and the very near future, that he doth deliver us. And the third time, when he says he will yet deliver us, he's really talking about the ultimate future. He will yet deliver us still. He's emphasizing deliverance, past present, and future. 
What we learn is Paul saw the deliverance of God when he looked back. He saw the deliverance of God when he looked around. He saw the deliverance of God when he looked ahead. Now, one commentator said, as the Corinthians heard this read, he delivered us, he will deliver us, he will deliver us again. The certitude of deliverance from crushing circumstances would certainly have greatly refreshed their souls, and so it should for us. We feel the pressure, we grasp our circumstances, yet he is the deliverer, the God of all comfort, has, will, and will yet again. That's a, strengthen, a strengthening truth to our souls. Let's take a step back. God does not always immediately deliver, nor does he always deliver in the same way. James, after all, was beheaded. Stephen stoned. And yet Peter was delivered out of prison. And Paul here in this moment was delivered from that sentence of death. The reality is all of them were delivered just in different ways. Peter, Paul, delivered from their trials. Stephen, James, delivered in their trials. Think for just a second about the deliverance of God. In our timeline and in our finite understanding, we'd like to be delivered in a way that accommodates us. God doesn't always work that way, but he always delivers. God wants to deliver us from our trials. God wants us to trust in him. God wants to deliver us. The third thing is this. God is always glorified through our trials. Notice verse 11. Now he's talking to these readers in Corinth. And he says explicitly, ye, that's you, also helping together. And we'll get to that phrase in just a minute. By prayer for us, that for the gift bestowed upon us, by the means of many persons, thanks may be given by many on our behalf. That maybe is a little convoluted, but we want to understand what he's saying there. And ultimately he's saying, God be thanked. Because God intervened and he used you to intervene. God is glorified through our trials. Now, it is clear that Paul was learning to trust in God in spite of his circumstances. Hand on the thermostat, eye on the thermometer. God was there. God delivered. He trusted that God had delivered in the past. He will deliver in the near future. And ultimately, he will deliver yet again. He trusted in God's deliverance. There's something he communicates here that I think is important. And what he communicates here is he also trusted in the prayer of the saints, in the prayer of the believers at Corinth, especially in those in Corinth with whom he had shared so much. He trusted and knew he was helped by other people praying for him. That comforted him. He knew that God wanted to deliver him. That comforted him. He knew people were praying for him. That comforted him. Not in some vague sense. He grasped that he was helped by the prayers of others for him. You see, prayer is not some invisible, indescribable thing. It's something that is taught to us within scripture. 
He knew that he was helped by their prayers for him. That's an interesting thing. That was a point of strength for him. Prayer. As I was studying this out, I came across one who gave some insight. I I found this very helpful to me. Prayer is indeed a mystery, he said, but it's stressed over and again in the New Testament as a vital prerequisite to experience God's power. Now, what does he mean by that? He said, it is true that God delivers and that God stands in no need of human prayers before he can act on behalf of his afflicted servants. Yet, he went on to write, there is the man word as well as the God word aspect of such deliverance. And the man word side is summed up in the duty of Christians to intercede in prayer for their fellow believers who are enduring affliction. In prayer, he concluded, human impotence casts itself at the feet of divine omnipotence. Thus, the duty of prayer is not a modification of God's power, but a glorification of it. We need to intercede for one another. We need to pray without ceasing, the Bible says. We need to make our requests known unto God. There's power in prayer. We show our impotence when we pray to the God of omnipotence. It's a fact. Paul understood this. In fact, throughout his letters, he grasped the power of prayer. He repeatedly requested for prayer. Pray, he would say in Ephesians 6.19, for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. Pray for me, he was saying, to the believers in Ephesus, to those in Philippi. In Philippians 1.19, he said, I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. To the believers at Colossae in Colossians 4.3, he asks again, with all praying for us that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am also in bonds. Very similar to the prayer request that he gave the church at Ephesus. Pray as I communicate the gospel for an open door, for the utterance, for the right words to say, for effect of the gospel message. As he was writing to them at Thessalonica in 2 Thessalonians 3.1, he said, Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified, even as it is with you. Pray for us. Pray for me, he would say. Pray. Intercede. God is glorified in our trials. How? Well, obviously, when he gives deliverance, God is glorified. He is glorified when saints pray for, intercede on behalf of those that are under pressure, above strength, out of measure. Their boat's riding low in the water. The load is more than they can bear, almost indescribable. Trust in God. He wants to deliver. He's glorified in our trials when we pray, and when we intercede on behalf of others. In fact, in verse 11, he said, you're helping together. That's a very interesting word. In fact, it's used only here, and it's combining three words, with, 
under work, helping together with under work. What does that picture? It pictures laborers with under work, laborers under the burden, working together to get the job done. It is encouraging to know that the Holy Spirit also assists in our prayers and helps to carry the load, uttering groanings on our behalf that we cannot even utter. We are together with the Holy Spirit praying, get this. He begins by saying in the language, I am riding low in the water. My boat's overloaded. I'm, I'm, I'm falling under this load. It's beyond my resource. And then he communicates in a couple of verses linguistically, but you're helping together. You're getting under this load with me. And with the help of the Holy Spirit, you're bearing up under this load with me. You're helping me accomplish this work. It's intriguing to realize that while he was in Asia struggling, the prayers of those in Corinth were actually helping him get underneath the load. Many, he said in that verse, many persons have their face toward God. That's what's communicated. Praying. And many, in verse 11, will be offering thanks when God rescues. And no matter how he delivers, he will be glorified by the thanks that we give for his deliverance. One said of that, this brief sentence, this verse refers to prayer and to giving thanks, indicating the important and close connection between them. Prayer to God for specific needs is rightly followed by thanksgiving. He concluded, indeed, one is complete without the other. See, yeah, but God didn't answer my prayer. They're with him now. We thank God for his deliverance. He's glorified through our trials. What an incredible lesson this is. If I were to summarize really what we're to make of all of this, I think it's best summarized kind of back where we began in the phrase in verse 9 that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God which raiseth the dead. Obviously, Paul was a man of great faith and commitment. And yet he's telling us something. That with all of his experience, with all of his scriptural knowledge, within this circumstance and experience, he learned a truth that he had to embrace. I have to trust in God. And with God, nothing is impossible. Let me conclude with what one writer said. Paul's experience of suffering and comfort in the course of his ministry is replicated in every generation. In the lives of godly missionaries and pastors and their interrelationships with their congregations, while both minister and people suffer as they bear witness to Christ in an alien culture, there remains a distinctive role and a distinctive suffering to the Christian leader. As the comfort of God is experienced in the life of the leader, so it will be passed on through ministry to the people. And that points us back to those first verses. We don't become a cul-de-sac for the comfort of God, but a conduit for the comfort of God. So another way that God is glorified when we are put under pressure is that he being the God of all comfort is glorified when we, as we were mandated in the first verses, pass along that comfort to others. Now listen, it was uncomfortable for Paul to encounter the God of all comfort but in that dire situation, the fact is he learned to trust in God. He learned 
to believe that prayer had an effect. And sometimes that has to be enough for us. Trust in God. God wants to deliver us. He's glorified through our trials. And even from a distance, we can pray, bearing up under the load with others. There's power in that prayer. This is so practical. What a beautiful introduction chapter 1 of 2 Corinthians has been to the God of all comfort in navigating these pressure-filled situations. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what this week ahead holds. But I do know that this is eternal truth and that God has delivered He will deliver, and ultimately, he will deliver us all yet again. There's comfort in that. Pray for one another. Let's pray now. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truth of your word, this great passage of scripture to help us. I pray that you'd strengthen us for the week ahead. Lord, I pray that we'd learn to trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening this week to the Graceway Baptist Church podcast. For more information about our church and our ministries, head on over to our website at gracewaycharlotte.org. We are a church located in South Charlotte. We are growing and our ministries are doing big things for Christ. If you're looking for a way to get plugged into what we're doing, email us at info at gracewaycharlotte.org. Also, stay in the loop with everything happening by following us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle is Graceway Charlotte. Thanks again for listening to the Graceway Charlotte podcast. We'll see you next week.